What a precious truth it is that He will hold us fast. What a glorious Savior. What a great love. This love we've been meditating on as we've been in John 13. I want to invite you to return with me to that scene that we visited last Sunday. We had Jesus and His disciples together in the upper room sharing the last Passover meal with Jesus before His crucifixion that was less than 24 hours away. And stunningly, King Jesus, while being well aware of His own majesty, got up from supper, set aside His garments, girded Himself with a towel, filled a basin with water, and took up the lowly task of washing His disciples' feet. We noted two functions of this foot washing. It functioned first as, in itself, a loving act of humble service to his disciples. And then it also functioned as a picture or an object lesson about the washing of regeneration, whereby spiritually dead sinners are made alive in Christ, made a new creature, that whole bath kind of washing. And then there's the ongoing washing for believers that occurs in their progressive sanctification. When believers stumble in sin, they need cleansing from that. And they need repair brought to their communion with God. That kind of ongoing spiritual cleansing is illustrated by the foot washing. In our text this morning, we'll learn of one more function that this foot washing event fulfilled. It's described in verse 15. It says it's an example that Jesus was setting for his disciples to follow in relation to one another. As he had humbly served his disciples in love by washing their feet, he did so to set an example for them so that they would learn to humbly serve each other in the same manner. Let's read our text this morning. John 13, verses 12 through 17. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your majesty and we thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather here together to worship you. It is solely by the mediating work of your Son that we are able to boldly approach your throne of grace. We ask, Lord, that you would grant us a higher view of him as a result of our study this morning, our Lord Jesus Christ, 
as we revisit the marvelous display of Jesus' loving, humble service to his disciples, help us to see the glory of our Savior in it. May that humble us and stir us to greater depths of worship from our hearts toward him because he is worthy. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There had been a major issue going on among the disciples leading up to this event in the upper room that made it necessary for Jesus to set this example of humble, loving service to his disciples. Matthew and Mark describe this issue surfacing prior to the triumphal entry. Jesus and his disciples were on their way to Jerusalem. And the sons of Zebedee, James and John, basically got their mom to request that Jesus would assign them what in their minds was the highest ranking positions in Jesus' coming kingdom, to be seated to his right and to his left. And this issue among the disciples was essentially a desire to rise above the others, a desire to be the greatest, a desire to advance themselves. At that time, Jesus warned them about the problem with Gentile rulers and their distorted view of advancement and authority. He pointed out how they lord their authority over others to serve their own desires. They use people under their authority to advance their own interests. Then Jesus told them, it should not be this way among you. Jesus says to them, whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. The lesson there was that true greatness sacrifices self to serve and to lift up others. Totally opposite of the way that the world thinks. Luke indicates that when the disciples had come to the upper room to share in that Passover meal with Jesus, they were still obsessing over who was going to be the greatest among them. Luke 22, verse 24 says, And there arose also a dispute among them as to which one of them was regarded to be greatest. That's happening there in that scene at the supper. At the teaching Jesus had given to them on the way up to Jerusalem evidently had not sunk in very deep yet. Still a significant issue for them, even after what he had already explained to them. This desire for greatness was a severe problem for the disciples, and we would be foolish to think that we do not face the same great threat of that rising up in our own hearts. As we turn our attention back to John's account of that supper in chapter 13, and we've already seen this picture of him washing his disciples' feet, we find that there was another way that Jesus was loving his disciples' feet, uh, disciples as he was washing their feet. And that was that he, we know he humbly served them. We know that he set a picture for them of spiritual cleansing that he was accomplishing in their lives. And in our passage today, we'll see that he was doing something that would cut out the legs 
from underneath their lofty aspirations to elevate themselves above others. Jesus was planning to send these men out to lay the groundwork for carrying out his great commission. And they needed to have this desire for self-elevation dealt with. They needed this lesson from Jesus. We need this lesson from Jesus too. And that is that he set an example for his disciples by washing their feet. None of the disciples had jumped into action to serve one another in love by washing each other's feet. They were probably each thinking, if I start washing others' feet, it would be be an admission of inferiority on my part. And I want to be the greatest. There's no way I'm doing that. And so Jesus takes up the task that everyone else is avoiding. What a glorious king. That is a king worth following. An example worth following. In light of the issue among the disciples of a desire to exalt themselves, and Jesus' example of loving, humble serving that he set for them, my prayer for us as we come to this text has been that the desire for self-exaltation would continue to die away in our hearts and that the Lord would continue to deepen our desire to humbly serve one another in love for his glory and for the good of his people. As we walk through this passage, I want to point out to you four principles that we need to take to heart in order to respond appropriately to this example that Jesus set and intended for us to follow when he washed the feet of his disciples. The first principle that you need to take to heart to help you respond rightly to Jesus' example in washing his disciples' feet is that you must submit to Jesus as your teacher and Lord. Verse 12. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. When Jesus was finished washing their feet, when he'd put his garments back on, when he'd reclined back at that table, he asked them a question. He said, do you know or do you understand what I have just done to you? He wants them to think about what he's just done. And then he wants them to start thinking about the fact that he is their teacher and he is their Lord. And the connection there. He points out that they call him teacher and Lord. And he affirms that they are right to do so. As a side note, we learn from Jesus here that part of teaching and correcting is affirming where people have things right. You disciples call me teacher and Lord, and you're right. I am. That's what Jesus is conveying to them and affirming in them. And we can think about what Jesus is starting to drive home to them here and what he says 
by relating it to the situation of having a boss. If you have a, a boss in a work context and you say that that person is your boss, but then you just do your own thing, you don't do what your boss has asked you to do. Your, your actions are not matching up with your words. You say that they're your boss, but you're acting like they're not your boss. It doesn't make sense for you to have a boss and then not do what your boss asks of you. Just doing your own thing, your own way. You're not rightly relating to your boss. Your view of your boss's position is incorrect. Your view of your own position is incorrect. And in a similar way, it would make no sense for Jesus' disciples to call him teacher and Lord and to not do what he instructs them and models for them to do. Luke captures Jesus saying on another occasion, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? It is only fitting that a disciple follow the teaching and example of their teacher. It is only fitting that those under the lordship of Christ would obey his commands, that they would carry out his will. And so what folly it is if we call him teacher and Lord and don't do what he says and don't follow his example. If you're going to learn from the example of Jesus set in this upper room foot washing scene, you have got to remember he is Lord and therefore you need to do what he says and what he models for you. What he says goes. You know what 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says? It says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. Believer, you are not your own. Jesus bought you at the price of his precious blood. He bought you out of slavery to sin, and now he is your master. And he is a good and perfect master. He takes care of his own. He benevolently reigns amidst his people. He bought you. You are not your own. You are his. Therefore, you need to glorify him in your body. You need to aim to live for his glory, to live in ways that are pleasing to him. And you live for his glory by trusting in him and doing what he commands you to do. Jesus is king, and what he says goes. You need to live according to the ways of his kingdom by grace through faith in the king. And you are to do so as an expression of your worship to him. So that's the first principle that you need to lay hold of if you are to respond rightly to seeing this example that Jesus set for us to humbly serve one another in love. You must submit to Jesus' authority over you. You are not your own. You're his. He is your teacher and Lord. And so it is only fitting that you would do what he instructs you to do and to follow the example that he has set for you to follow. Responding appropriately to Jesus' example here 
has everything to do with your relationship to him. That he is teacher and Lord. That he has authority over you. You need to follow his example because he has called you to follow his example. He has compelled you to do it by showing you what to do. Not only does he tell you what to do, but he's shown you the way. You being reluctant to humbly serve one another in love is you being reluctant to obey the Lord who died for your fellow believers and who died for you. So, first, we must submit to Jesus as teacher and Lord. The next principle that you need to take to heart to properly respond to the example that Jesus has set for his disciples when he washes their feet is you must understand the essence of Jesus' example. You must understand the essence of Jesus' example. Look back at verse 14. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. You need to be clear on the essence of Jesus' example. What is at the core of his example for these disciples? One thing you need to understand is that Jesus gave them an example, not an ordinance here. And I say this because some will argue that Jesus is establishing another ordinance in addition to baptism and the Lord's Supper that the church is to practice regularly. Now let's be clear, the act of foot washing itself is not inherently problematic. Jesus did it here. The problem comes when we elevate it to the status of an ordinance commanded by Christ that the church is required to observe. The major concern here is that it misses the actual point of the passage. Jesus was setting an example of loving, humble service for his disciples, not establishing an ordinance. I appreciate D.A. Carson's comments on this subject. He says, We may reasonably ask if those Christian communities that practice foot washing as a Christian sacrament on a par with baptism and the Lord's Supper have understood this passage better than those who find they cannot elevate foot washing to the same plane. We may ask something similar of the formal act of foot washing on Maundy Thursday when popes, bishops, abbots, and others have often washed the feet of junior clergy and sometimes of paupers. Two factors have prevented most Christians, rightly, from so institutionalizing foot washing. First, nowhere else in the New Testament or in the earliest extra-biblical documents of the church is foot washing treated as an ecclesiastical rite, an ordinance, a sacrament. The mention of foot washing in 1 Timothy 5.10 is no exception. There it is not introduced as a universal rite, but is placed in a list of good deeds, of open-hearted hospitality that qualify a widow to be included in the support list. Wise theologians and expositors have always been reluctant to raise to the level of universal right something that appears only once in Scripture. Second, and perhaps more importantly, the heart of Jesus' command is humility and helpfulness toward brothers and sisters in Christ that may be cruelly parodied by a mere right 
of foot washing that easily masks an unbroken spirit and a haughty heart. Well, if Jesus is not establishing an ordinance here, what is it that he's doing? In Jesus' day, foot washing was a real practical need for sandal-wearing people who were walking on dusty paths. And it was something people saw as a lowly task, a way of serving others that people were least inclined to do. It takes a love and humility and selflessness to choose to do something like that for someone else. Jesus was setting an example of loving, humble service for his disciples. He picked a lowly, dirty task that none of the disciples cared to do for each other, though it needed to be done. So Jesus gives one powerful example here that represents a whole slew of ways that believers in Christ should be humbly serving one another in love. It was one of many ways that Jesus would demonstrate that he had not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mark 10:45. Jesus' disciples were to imitate this pattern that he had set for them. 1 John 2:6 says that the one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. He lived a life of humbly and sacrificially serving those whom his Father had given to him. And so we are to humbly and sacrificially serve those whom the Father has given to the Son. Look with me at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. You remember from last time that Jesus was telling Peter that he would understand these things later. Well, he did come to understand these things. He he eventually writes about them in this letter. In chapter 1, he writes of how the Old Testament had foretold the sufferings of Christ, Christ's humiliation, the humiliation that shocked the disciples when he washed their feet, and then shocked them even more when he went to the cross to die as the ultimate Passover Lamb for the redemption of his people, so that they could be new, made new and be sanctified. Again, what was pictured in that, that washing scene. And Peter came to understand these sorts of concepts that were conveyed when Jesus washed his disciples' feet. And Peter also came to understand how the foot washing served as an example for those that Christ would redeem, of how they were to relate to one another by humbly serving each other in love. And so 1 Peter 4, verse 10 says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Peter tells you that God has gifted you by His grace for the purpose of, that you would humbly serve one another, following his example. Your gifts are not given to you to exalt yourself or to serve yourself or to advance yourself. They are given to you so that you can humbly serve others and lift them up. So, let me ask you, saints, how are you stewarding the manifold wisdom, manifold grace 
of God given to you, spiritual gifts given to you? Are you exercising the grace given to you by God to humbly, sacrificially serve your fellow believers in love? Let Jesus' example challenge you to that end, this glorious display of humble, sacrificial love for his disciples, willing to descend low for them. To properly respond to Jesus' example when he washed his disciples' feet, you must understand the essence of the example, what it is he wants you to imitate. It's not simply washing feet. It's humbly serving one another in love in a myriad of ways. He just picks that one example because it was one that was a real test of love and humility. His disciples didn't want to stoop low like that for one another to meet a practical need that was considered in their minds to be below them. And that leads us into the third principle. You need to submit first to Jesus' authority, that he's teacher and Lord. You need to understand the essence of Jesus' example. What is he actually exampling for us? And third, you must remember you are not greater than Jesus. You must remember that you are not greater than Jesus. Back in John 13, verse 16, we see this principle. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. These disciples were so focused on promoting themselves above each other that they would have seen washing each other's feet as something below them. What Jesus did in washing their feet was a stinging rebuke to them and to their pride. And it basically stripped away any excuse that they might conjure up to avoid humbly serving each other in love. Truly, truly, Jesus would introduce statements in this way to emphasize the importance and the reliability of the truth that follows. He says that a slave is not greater than his master. And then parallel to that, another example, nor is one sent greater than the one who sent him. Jesus is their master, And he will be sending these men out as his ambassadors. These men need to understand that if Jesus washed their feet, if it was not below him to do that, it was not below them to do that for one another. The disciples needed to take their focus off of seeking their own greatness and remember the one who is truly great above all. Psalm 145, verse 3 says, Great is the Lord, and highly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. We were created, not for our own greatness, but to magnify the greatness of our Creator. Now what you need to understand here is that if Jesus, who is the Lord, who is the greatest, humbly served His disciples, by means of 
the lowliest kind of service to them, then you are not above doing it. And if you think you are above doing it, you're putting yourself above Jesus. Let that sink in. If you think that there's a task that serves a brother or sister in Christ and it's below you, you're putting yourself above Jesus. You're forgetting that but for the grace of God, your destiny would be the everlasting wrath of God for your being a person dead in trespasses and sins and therefore accursed. Scripture says our life is a vapor. Who, who do we think we are? It is a privilege to serve our Savior by serving His people whom He loves and whom He bled and died for. And that is the case no matter how lowly a task it may seem to be that we need to carry out to serve our brothers and sisters in Christ. The lowest task of service to a brother or sister in Christ is so high above us when we think about what we deserve for our sins, what our Savior has spared us from by bearing our guilt on Himself. Jesus makes our selfish excuses as to why some kind of serving is below us just look pathetic. Because it exposes how inflated a view we have of ourselves when we can have that kind of attitude about serving. Sometimes serving one another can get dirty, messy, uncomfortable, time-consuming, tiring, painful. Humble love is willing to endure that. Think about it this way. It is a privilege to do the will of the one who died for you, who absorbed the righteous wrath of God against your sins. It is a true privilege to serve Him, being instruments in Christ's hands, channels of His love toward His people. That's a privilege to be that. It is never below you. And if you think it is, you're basically saying that you're greater than Jesus. A final principle that you need to embrace in order to rightly respond to the example Jesus set by washing his disciples' feet is that you must know that Jesus blesses obedience. Jesus blesses obedience. Look at verse 17. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Now, the construction here actually assumes that the first part is true for the sake of the argument. So, assuming you know these things, since they've just been explained to you, you are blessed if you do them. And these things are the things he's just explained, that Jesus is teacher and Lord, and you are to obey his teaching and follow his example and come under his commands That the essence of his example is that we are to imitate him in showing love toward one another in humble service. And that we are not greater than Jesus. Therefore, the lowliest tasks of humble service toward one another are never below us. Jesus had explained those things. 
But these men needed to act on what he said. They needed to believe what he said and to demonstrate that belief in action. It is not enough to know these things, to be aware of them conceptually. They need to affect and govern your life because God blesses the path that they pave. Being in the will of God and therefore being in the favor of God. Blessing is found in the doing of these things. Blessing follows obedience. Psalm 119 verse 1 says, How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Psalm 128 verse 1, How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. Luke eleven twenty eight. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. In Psalm 19 verse 11, referring to God's words, it says, In keeping them there is great reward. And Jesus is the ultimate blessed one. His every step was pleasing to the Father. Every action was right. He didn't even have one wayward thought. He loved and humbly served all the way to a bloody death on the cross. So when we follow Christ's example, we walk in the path that God blesses, that path that God smiles upon with His favor, the way of His Son. You must not underestimate the blessedness of a clean conscience. Knowing you have done what is pleasing to God through faith in Him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, so it must be done by faith. But when you walk by faith in God and, and therefore walk in what He says, take Him at His word, and you follow the example of His Son who is the incarnate word, and that causes you to walk in the ways that God blesses, you will be blessed. The path that his perfect son walks is the one that we want to be on. You cannot beat knowing that you are doing what pleases and honors and glorifies your Redeemer. Even when you may suffer greatly for doing so. It certainly helps to know this final principle and to take it to heart to be able to endure the suffering and sacrifice and loss that may come through imitating Christ's Example for you. It strengthens the soul to walk in obedience to God as we recognize that we're blessed when we walk by faith, when we heed what God says, and we imitate His Son who is well-pleasing to Him. Now, this of course is only a reality for those who have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. If you've not been reconciled to God through repentance from your sin and faith in Jesus Christ, you need to know that it is impossible for you to please God and to be walking in His favored path if you remain in that state of unbelief and sin. But this Jesus that we read about who washed His disciples' feet can wash your soul, can make you clean. He can make you a new creature. He can save you from your sin and reconcile you to God. 
but you must trust wholly upon who he is and what he has done to save you. You must believe that he is the Son of God and that he took on himself a human nature so that he could live a perfect life in our place, so that he could die for our sins in our place, and so that he could rise for us in victory over death in our place. If you have not been reconciled to God, I implore you to trust in Jesus today as Lord and Savior and follow him. He is mighty to save. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter where you've been. He can save anyone that he so chooses to save. So cry out to him to deliver you. For those of you who have been reconciled to God through faith in Christ, I want to encourage you. You are a blessed people. And I say that because when I look around this place, I see servants imitating Christ's loving, humble service to one another. You have no idea what an encouragement you all are to me. And I want to commend you in that. I love being around you, servants of the Lord. I also want to encourage you in the language of Paul to excel still more. Be encouraged by where the Lord has you as a loving, serving church. I praise the Lord for blessing you in that way. And I want to urge you to keep going, to keep growing in love and in humility. Keep gaining a deeper drive to serve one another in honor of Christ, your Savior. Keep growing in your grasp of what a privilege it is to serve Christ by serving one another. May the Lord help us all to grow in this. As we consider the the threat that the disciples were facing of desiring to elevate themselves, and we think about what our Lord did in washing their feet. May we take to heart these four principles from this passage as we seek to put to death the same threat of self-exaltation that we face as we look at the example of our Savior, as we trust Him, as we seek to follow Him, to love, humbly love and serve like He did. May we submit to Jesus' authority over us as our teacher and Lord. We are not our own. He has bought us with a price. Understand the essence of Jesus' example of humble, loving service that knows nothing of an act that is below us in serving one another. Remember, we are not greater than Jesus. So if Jesus humbly served his disciples, then we ought to do the same toward one another. And be encouraged, knowing that Jesus blesses obedience. He blesses those who walk in his ways by faith, imitating his Son. I want to leave you with a charge to serve like your Savior. Keep your eyes fixed on Him. Be captivated by this one who laid his life down for you and let that compel you to want to be like Him. 
May it be a joy to us to imitate him, knowing that we are highlighting and reflecting his greatness when we do so. We are saying Christ is great. Look at what he did. I want to follow. I want to magnify that because it is good. Praise the Lord Jesus. Eyes fixed on him. Let us trust him. Let us follow him wholeheartedly. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we marvel at the love and humility on display by Christ as he washed his disciples' feet. We thank you for the powerful and challenging example that he has left for us to imitate. Grant us grace to take to heart the principles that we have seen in this passage and let them drive us to imitate Jesus for his glory, highlighting the goodness of what he did. Crush any remnant of self-exaltation in our hearts and humble us as we picture our Savior washing his disciples' feet and ultimately going to that cross for us. All glory be to Christ our King. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.